Hey everybody, welcome to episode 118 of Literary Disco, three children's books. Today, in honor of Julia's brand new baby girl. <laughs> Yay! Julia, big up. We're going to talk about three books for children. We'll discuss Maurice Sendak's timeless masterpiece, Where the Wild Things Are, Tommy DePaolo's classic tale of overflowing pasta, Streganona, and a newer book by Shane W. Evans entitled We March. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg, an essayist and radio personality, and mom, mom! Julia Pistel. Hey, Julia! Woo! One of my many Julia. identities. <laughs> yeah, yes. So, Julia, you have you gave birth two weeks ago? Yes, two weeks and two days ago. Oh my gosh. So, yes. at what point during the birth process were you like, I should probably tell Ryder and Todd that they're idiots. Oh, wow. Well, months ago, really. Really, a long time ago. Well, we should mention, we were supposed to be recording this episode. Uh, right. Yeah. When you, like, literally the day that you gave birth, we were we were scheduled to record. Yep, so I had a number we of things We were getting planned. frantic texts. <laughs> yeah. So you, I had a you very were busy a week, day planned. Yeah, you were I was a week early. early, right? Okay. Yeah. So it, you had a baby girl. Yes. Her name is Vega. Yes, exactly. I shared the story that you put on Facebook with all of our Facebook fans and on Twitter, and people were very, very excited about it. Yeah, it oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it was really, you know, it was very emotional and hard because my grandfather had just died, and I was uh, actually kind of hoping to put a lot of distance between his death. And I thought the baby would be late because I'm late for everything, and that just seemed <laughs> on... <laughs> on par so that's that's logical the fact that she was early like a whole week early um really was surprising so it was you know it was a lot to kind of process all those things at once and also I mean everything that they say is a myth and won't happen um happened to me so my water broke which doesn't happen except in 15 percent of pregnancies um, really? my labor was super, yep. My labor was super fast. We had to rush to the hospital. Like everything that they say is like, don't worry, this won't happen to you. Happen. Right. So only in the movies. Yeah, so <laughs> it was, um, and I, I don't think I put this on the post. Maybe I did, but, um, the way that my water broke and this is for, for real, I ate a really spicy curry and I sneezed and I, oh I'm pretty <laughs> oh God, sure awesome. that like, I felt like a rupture and I was like, uh Oh, and so it was just like from that moment on, so a spicy curry induced your labor, <laughs> spicy curry and allergies. Uh, yeah. Where, where can I ask you, Julia, or is this, is this the kind of question that I shouldn't ask? Where were you? When your water broke, vis-a-vis the sneeze and the curry sure. at home? I was at home. It was uh, it was just around midnight, and my, uh, Greg and I were paying out everyone in our company that works for us, which is hilarious. <laughs> and Greg finished the payouts for another, like, two hours while I was, like, determining whether or not I was in labor. Um, oh he wrote God. everybody's paychecks. So that when we, when we wrote to everybody, like, hey, we're – we're having a baby now. We were like, don't worry, you still got paid. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You guys are, you guys are so uh, on point, even at the, the moment of childbirth. That is, yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing. I like that the Greg kept paying bills for two hours while you 
tried to judge whether or not something had ruptured or if you were having a child. You know, you don't know. Like, I, yeah, it's, it's a weird twilight period where, like, as Alex woke me up at like four in the morning, she's like, I think it's happening. I'm pretty sure something's happening. No, no, no. Something's happening. And it was like two hours of that conversation. Like, well, is this happening? Okay. And then you're like, because they, they tell you like, there's so much potential for false labor yeah. that like, you just don't trust it. Well, the best thing ever was, um, so basically I tried immediately to go to sleep because you're told that, you know, like it should progress. This is another thing. It's supposed to progress very slowly. Like your contractions started, they, mine started, they were like 20 minutes apart. So I had like two contractions, like 20 minutes apart. So that's basically 45 minutes where I was like, I don't know what this is. So I was trying to go to sleep. And then there was an immediate drop down. Well, let, let me back up. So you're supposed to go to the hospital when they're five minutes apart for an hour. Uh, and that, that's your marker. So you just like time it and you wait until they steadily go down. So mine went from 20 minutes apart to a minute and a half apart, nonstop. Oh my, that's oh my. So that's basically like I should have been in the hospital hours ago. So, So during this like twilight time where I didn't know what was going on, I was of course doing what you guys would do, which is Googling the shit out of it. So when I got home from the hospital, there's like 30 Google pages open up that's like, how do you know when your water breaks? How much time between when your water breaks and having a baby and people are like a week or like 20 hours so i had been like whatever i have time but uh yeah hey, my theory is my water insane. break <laughs> let's see here uh siri doesn't have an answer for me <laughs> oh well oh man but yeah it was a big adventure congratulations congratulations Thanks. super excited for you i have to i have to admit something though I missed something. What? Of that when you when you announced that her name was Vega, I was like, I didn't realize Julia was such a huge contact fan. Because mm-hmm. the, there's there's the star <laughs> in, yep. in contact. And and Wendy's like, it's not just in contact, you moron. It's a Vega's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, uh, oh, oh. Yeah. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, oh, it's a real thing? She's like, yeah, Vega is a real thing. It's not just in the the Jodie Foster movie you like. You actually thought that they made up a star called Vega for the Jodie Foster movie? Look, you know... <laughs> you never claimed to be a scientist. Look, I'm not a scientist. I don't know about global warming. I don't know about the stars. I'm just saying that I wasn't sure that Vega was a real thing. So, All right. Now well, we know. Now, you do. now I know. Well, it is. And it's a real person, and she's very and she's fun. adorable. We have seen her listeners. You guys won't get to see her because you're not on this podcast with us. Um, but she's adorable, and she's going to be a beautiful, powerful woman who's going to save us from a great evil. Yes, Let's hopefully. Hope so. Yeah, get her trained. Right. Train her up on that. Well, start training her with great books. Yes. Yes. That's my segue to... Good segue. Where, let's do Where the Wild Things Are, okay. which probably every one of our listeners has read a million times since they were kids. It won the Caldecott Medal. For most distinguished picture book of the year in 1964, and it was made into a movie adapted by Dave Eggers. Right, it was just him. He wrote yeah. it, the script, and then um, Spike Jones directed it. Right, yeah, it's a great film, yeah. Actually, I gotta rewatch it. Reading this book made me want to rewatch it. 
So, um, so yeah, so I read this to my son for the first time about a week ago when we were first supposed to record this episode. Um, what did he think? And it, it went over incredibly well. Surprise, surprise. Uh, it's like he's just old enough. You know, he's my son's two and three quarters. So we're, de- we're definitely dealing with, like, the behavioral stage. Like, right. we're really, we're in the thick of real parenting. You, you always think that, but, like, man, because now he's super verbal and he talks a lot and his mood swings are crazy. And so we just keep forgetting that he's, like, a little monster. And uh, so this, this book just nailed his, his, uh, his current mood, mood swings um, perfectly. And... He loves big monsters. He loves big, you know, scary animals. And yeah, I don't know. What'd you guys think? Well, I, this was my pick. Um, and when I was a kid, I, uh, I had several copies of this because I would yank the pictures out and pin them on my wall. Um, wow. I absolutely loved this book when I was a kid because I imagined myself as this boy, of course. I mean, that's what great right. children's books do is that they transport the the listener or the reader as it were um into them and you know i was a weird little kid and i got sent to my room a lot but it wasn't like sent to my room without food because we're still jews you know so mm-hmm. no, no one no one is sent to the room without food if their last name is goldberg that's just not the thing that we do um but you know i was always chasing around my dog and imagining different worlds and all this stuff and so i i remember really vividly um having the section of the book where they're doing the wild rumpus ripped out and pinned to my wall above my bed. And I would just look at it for hours and hours and hours and imagine myself where the wild things are. Um, it, it was so much shorter than I thought in my mind, this book was like a thousand pages long. And, you know, it occurs to me, I, number one, I couldn't read. And number two, I just read it constantly back and forth and back and forth and back and forth with no sense of beginning, middle, or end. So I was surprised when I got mm-hmm. it and I was like, oh, it's 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 11 pages long. <laughs> That's disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of stuff here. Well, there's a lot to unpack in where the wild things are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels epic. I mean, it's, I think for a lot of kids, it's probably one of their first, you know, entries into like a child going through the looking glass you know that kind of story structure of what's reality and what's their imagination and that kind of transformation but I mean when Maurice Sendak died a few years ago did you guys read a lot about him at the time I mean like he is so subversive and amazing and Todd I don't know if you know this but um being Jewish he all of the wild things are modeled off of his like um, Jewish aunts and uncles oh, I didn't who know were that. like cra- huh. crazy and like cheek pinching and right. you know, <laughs> right? Uh, huh. th- things like that. So it's it's interesting that you brought up um, <laughs> your Judaism <laughs> right away. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I love this book. It's a classic, and the illustrations are so beautiful. beautiful. Rendered, and, rendered really know, beautifully. Yeah, yeah, and you want your your child to be wild like this. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that as a parent writer, but like it's, a, it's so free spirited. That's what I think that's why this book is a classic. Yeah, no, it's free. It's free spirited and you know, but it also contextualizes it perfectly. And, and I also just love that you never, that you never see the mom, right? You know, you don't need, mm-hmm. and, and, and you never, and like you, the, the, the through the looking glass factor that you're talking about is so effortless. It's just like, oh, and then the trees grew up in his room. Right. Like, yes. Yeah. 
and the trees kept growing and then the walls became and you're just like all right and then this this set this sentence which is the boat comes up and it's and he sailed off through night and day and in and out of weeks and almost over a year to where the wild things are it's like so perfectly it's just a simple phrasing that completely breaks time and space and uh it just is breezy and you keep moving right along into you know the where the wild things are and it's kid logic like i mean my son doesn't blink at that. It's like, he's just wants to see what's next. And what, Oh, there's a sea monster. And then the next page, it's like, Oh, there's all these monsters and he shouldn't be scared of them because he can tame the, it's like, it's so brilliant, you know? And then the fact that like Max is learning, I mean, cause that's what I'm dealing with my kid right now is that he can't control his emotions. It's like, right. he's a smart little guy and he can speak, you know, really eloquently for a two year old, but he can't control it. Like he, so he'll just go through these moments of just pure, like, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like you. And you're like, what just happened? We were just having so much fun and laughing and it just turns, you know, and you realize like they have no, like being a kid for, you know, and then being a teenager, it's the same thing over again. It's like you, you lose complete control of your, your, your emotions. They're like these things inside. They're like wild things inside of you. And this book just, I think captures that, like, that rollicking, crazy experience, you know, and makes it into this fun little adventure. And, um, and, and the, the idea that your impulse control or lack thereof when you're a kid can also turn into wild imagination. I mean, that that's the part mm -hmm. that I love is that he's sent to his room and in his mind, he turns his room into this forest, you know, with, with, right. where the ceiling disappears and it's just the vines. Because I remember that. I, I remember, I mean, I remember it also because... It's the thing I do almost every single day when I sit down to write. Um, right. It's what, what you do for a living. It's what I do for a living, right? Yeah. But, you know, I would be in my room, and I was just talking about this with a friend of mine, actually. You know, my, my, I'd be in my room, and I'd have my books, like Where the Wild Things Are. I'd close the door, and my mom would be having a crazy bipolar fit in the hallway. And, you know, I had yellow carpet in my room. And I just remember that I would imagine that my carpet was the sun and that my room had been tipped upside down that I was really standing on the ceiling because I had yellow carpet. Um, but that's like the sort of fit of imagination this book inspires, but it's also just what kids mm -hmm. do, you know, like to get away from whatever it is that they're feeling at that moment, they can turn anything into another world or, or even just like <laughs> how, like when you're a kid, you decide one day I'm only going to skip today. I'm not going to walk. I'm only going to skip. <laughs> right. <laughs> Similar thing. I've been, um, I've been, I went and I went to a bookstore this, this week. I was in a bookstore this weekend and I found a bunch of little Maury Sendak books. They're like little paperbacks mm -hmm. and they're all amazing. And like my son loves them. There's this one where this guy, this kid named Pierre and all he says is I don't care. And then he gets eaten by a lion. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he's the yeah. lion's like, I'm going to eat you. And he's like, I don't care. So the lion eats him. And my <laughs> son just loves this book. He's just obsessed with this idea of like, Oh, the lion's going to eat him. And, and you know what? I, I think the central, the key to a lot of what Maury Sendak writes, at least from what I've seen, and this is only like three or four books, um, is, uh, uh, J.M. Barry in, uh, Peter Pan, talks about children as being gay and innocent and heartless. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that that's such a key insight. And Maurice Sendak sort of comes from the same place where it's like, these kids are awful. Yeah. You know, like Max is being awful. <laughs> yes. And like that's, that's part of why they're such great characters is that they're not perfect. They're, they're the way kids really are, which is kids can be so horrible and mm-hmm. they break your heart because they don't know right from wrong. So there's no barriers there. It's just this free flowing and that, you know, leads obviously to great imagination, but that also leads to completely heartless behavior. And I think that, you know, Sendak always starts from that place. And that's, I think, the most, that's the best place for children's books to start mm-hmm. from. Um, or, you know, for the representation of children. I, I, I think if kids are, kids are often too sweet in stories and too good to begin with. And it's, yeah. Yeah, they, it's always good, I think, to start from a cynical place. Yeah, I think it's good if they get eaten by something. I think that's. It mm-hmm. starts them on the cannibal trail that, that Julia is so fond of. Julia, when will you begin reading Vega cannibal books? Oh, boy. I don't know. Are they... It's not long. Hansel and Gretel. Oh, yes. That's what's crazy. Like the original <laughs> Hansel and Gretel. I, I'm sitting there talking. I'm sitting there telling my son Hansel and Gretel. And I look over at my wife. I'm like, and then she put Hansel, she put Hansel in the cage to, so he would get fatter. So... Or, you know, I was trying to remember, like, oh, she's going to eat both of them, but she puts him in the cage. And then it's like, and, then they and stick so sure enough, I went and looked. Yes. yes. It's so awful. It's like the bone through a locker. I, yeah, it's all yeah. about, like, oh. Yeah, it's some yeah. dark stuff. <laughs> but, you know, it's the best. I mean, it, there's something so intriguing about that stuff. And, you know, mm-hmm. so much of children's literature is rooted in Victorian children's literature. And so we, we have to, like, walk back from all that, you know. We have to walk away from the right. idea of, like, these perfect children and everything, um, which right. still exists even in children's books that we love now. Like, even things like Harry Potter or whatever is all about, like, one perfect, perfect kid, you know, rather than mm. some some royal fuck-up like Max. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I was thinking that, you know, Max is a good sort of uh, uh, progenitor to that um, that wonderful children's book that Gwen Glazer from the New York Ta- or from the New York Public Library gave us um, of those kids at camp and they get involved in Lumberjanes. Lumberjanes. Lumberjanes, oh, Lumberjanes yeah. yeah, where they're just raise- they're ready for the wild rumpus at all times, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like that that you can see those lines beginning to come out. I mean, 1963, this is probably pretty subversive. It's still pretty subversive uh, where the wild things are. But you can see like that, and even in the drawings a little bit, you can see the line between those two things of hey let's treat kids as um you know not ciphers but as things that with you know open imaginations that can go and do things yep yeah which is cool all right uh what about streganona who picked this crazy bizarre i picked streganona (laughs) bavarian (laughs) uh so i picked this because we were arguing over what books Todd had available to him in his public library. Uh, <laughs> that's that's what it's like, kids. So if you're listening out there and you're like 17, 18 years old and you're wondering, what's it like to be Ryder Strong? What's it like to be Todd Goldberg? What's it like to be Julia Pistel? Like, what are their real lives like? It's three adults arguing about what I can find at my library because I don't want to spend $9. Am I wrong? I ended up buying him anyway. <laughs> uh, so I was like, oh, I'll just pick a classic. I, Ryder and I kept trying to suggest all these new children's books. Um, so I was like, oh, it's classic. And the first one that, that popped to mind was Streganona by Tommy DePaula. So, I mean, this is a book that I loved as a kid. And I remember having read to me in school and re- have read hundreds of times. Um, 
So what did you guys think? Well, I mean, shall I summarize? Give us, yeah, give us the plot a little bit, as it okay, were. Okay, sure. So um, in uh, it takes place in Italy, of course, because it's all about pasta. Um, and there's this... Uh, <laughs> There's this Italian woman slash she's kind of a witch and she has a magical pasta. She pot. is a witch. Dragonona means grandma witch. Yeah, she's grandma she's witch. literally a she's witch. Grandma witch. Yeah. This uh, is like so she's a witch and she has a magical right pasta pot. And then in a kind of sorcerer's apprentice like uh, <laughs> move, um, we have a young man named Anthony who uh, is. Uh, oh my god, it's been like weeks since I read this, and in baby time, that's like five years. Um, so he watches over this pasta pot, and everything gets out of control, and then Stregonona has to come and fix it all. Um, so right. Well, he listens, he watches Stregonona cast a spell, to so the pot makes an uh, endless amount of pasta, and he decides to take that power for himself while she's out of town and sh- make pasta for the entire town. But then he can't stop it because he missed the essential uh, waving or winking. That Three magic kisses. Three magic kisses, that's what it is. So she, the uh, reason she's able to make as much pasta as she wants is because of love. And the reason Big Anthony, you forgot that he is shamed for his size, that Big <laughs> Anthony cannot stop the pasta cavalcade is that he does not have the love inside. His is a, a purely mm. gluten-based desire to give pasta to people. <laughs> it's pride. He wants to share it with everybody and take credit for being magical. Hey, everyone, come look at my pasta. I'm going to lock the door behind you while you look at my pasta. Um, I, you know, a component that we, I mean, we obviously with Sendak didn't really, dis- we discussed them for a moment, but the illustrations in this book are fantastic, yeah. too. And I think that's part of its timelessness is it's a very strange style. Um, I don't know how to describe it except like it almost has like a mural quality, like an old time mural. Like, But it also looks like Schoolhouse Rock. It has like a vaguely Schoolhouse (laughs) Rock drawing design. It's like it's like bad. It's like not three dimensional. It's like, you know, there's no vanishing point. It's all kind of like flattened. So it feels like old timey and I don't know, it, the, I didn't remember the name of this book, but the second I saw the image mm-hmm. of the cover, I was like, oh yeah, I, this, and I was like, there's something with pasta. I like it, yeah. it because the imagery is like lodged deep in my brain. Um, so it's really effective. And yeah, I mean, this is like a simple morality tale, you know, it's kind of, it feels like, it feels like a, a, a fairy tale that has always existed. Yes. Um, yes. Which is, you know, some of the best. And I, I always, I always wonder like, why there isn't more of this like i guess it's just this is actually very hard to do you know to 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 come up with a story that is timeless without being too heavy-handed or uh too out of touch or i don't know but this this one hits that like sweet spot it's perfect it's just yeah yeah my my son loved it he's obsessed with witches right now so it came at a great time oh perfect um yeah because I, I this, he, he was, you know, this is a little long for him to sit and, and hear hear a whole story um, at night. Like I don't want to get into too long of books at night because already going to bed takes forty five minutes. It's like, oh, but I. So we did we did this one during the day, and I was like, it's about a witch. He was like, a witch, so, a pasta um, witch. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, going back to your the the, the discussion of genders that we, we've been having with uh, because Julia, you wouldn't reveal the gender of your child. Um, Witch is one of those weird things. It's like, yeah. you can't be a male witch. And like, my son wants to be a witch all the time. Mm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, you can be a witch. But then it's like, 
and then I looked at my wife, and I, I, the first time I was like, well, the, the, if you're a boy, you're a wizard. And then I'm like, well, who cares? Jesus Christ. <laughs> or a no, warlock. You can be a witch. Or a warlock. But it's, or a yeah. warlock, right. But it's like, you know, whatever. It's so funny that these terms are gendered. Like, you wouldn't, it's like witch is one of those things that you don't think about. And then suddenly, my son, he's still, he wants to be a witch all the time. It's like, he, we are having his birthday party coming up, and he's like, can I be a witch? We're like, I guess, I guess so. I mean, he sure. wants like the green skin and like yeah. a whole makeup thing, which I don't know if I want to deal with face paint. We made that mistake on Halloween. <laughs> it really boils <laughs> face painting the two year old. Do not it really boils down to whether or not you want to paint his face. <laughs> well, you can I, you can be a witch. Well, we're trying to explain to him that you don't necessarily dress up for your birthday party. But see, he's still got Halloween on his brain. Um, so the ending of Streganona is a little weird because. It's not just that Big Anthony has done the, the secret recipe on his own and filled the city with pasta. When the witch comes back, she accepts his apology, but then he has to eat all of the pasta he's made in the entire city. I know. Consequences, dude. Is that what we're learning here? Is this a consequence story? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh. I, I mean, I, th- and I think it's... I think it's fair consequences yeah. too. It's like excess, and he's got to eat it all. It, it makes sense. Yeah. I like it. Uh, uh, just to go back to the witch thing for a second. I mean, I think Ryder, your your point is really interesting because witches. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot as people are using the phrase witch hunt. You know, oh, which right. is hilarious when lobbied against like powerful men because that's the opposite of what the original witch hunts were. Right. Um, which was right. taking down <laughs> single or women of color or old women, just, right. you know, killing them. So, you know, it's so funny because I think Stregonon is like a perfect witch because she's like, she's not a good witch or a bad witch. She's just magic, you know, and mm-hmm. she's, she, rides the line you know she's punishing but she's also warm so she's a warm italian grandma but she will make you eat all that pasta if you're not if you're not good enough yeah if you if you screw up you're gonna you you have to pay the the italian grandmother which is so it's like a mob story basically yeah it's a mob story <laughs> so basically that's why so basically, todd liked it so much so basically when i write gangster land three i'll call it gangster nona and people will be like <laughs> damn <laughs> It's all about oh, the man. pasta witch. <laughs> That's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> Gangster. No, that is That's hilarious. A pretty great idea. I might probably sell that to ABC Family right now. Yeah. <laughs> Gangster Nona. Gangster Nona. <laughs> all right, what's our third book? Um, our third book is uh, We March by Shane... Evans, Shane W. Evans. Uh, and this was Julia's selection. Julia, where'd you hear about this book? Um, okay, so this book was given to me at my baby shower. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know about you, Ryder, but I would say... So I got a lot of books. I probably got like 40 books. But I would say at least 20 of them were straight up liberal progressive propaganda. <laughs> No, because I because you know I, I I my son was born in 2014. So right. That okay. That's so funny that that you know we got like four copies of Goodnight Gorilla, which was so annoying. Not liberal propaganda. I do like Goodnight Gorilla, but then the best was one somebody gave it to us the Spanish edition, which was great. But um, but yeah, but no, Goodnight Gorilla was like the big hit. Everybody gave us that. Wow. Um, no, I got so, uh, go A is for activists. Um, oh I got God. a bunch of different board books of like feminist leaders, um, and a large number. And some of them are 
not so well written and some of them are really well written, but they're, I mean, I'm so happy to have them. It's so exciting to have, you know, that kind of representation in my library because I think when you're buying books for like a baby shower, buying a classic is like risky. Nobody gave me where the wild things are because they assume I already have it. Um, so it was, it was really cool. Like I have a book of like women scientists and things like that. Did you get, did you get any of my pal, uh, Brad Meltzer's I am books? Did you get any of those? No, I did not. He does a series. Those are supposed to be. They great. are great. Um, he does a series of children's books, uh, stories for real heroes for kids, and it's children's books about the childhood of you know different people. Like I am Amelia Earhart, I am Gandhi, I am Jim Henson, I am Abraham Lincoln, I am Martin Luther King, I am Jackie Robinson. He's cool. got a dozen of them right now, and they're all you know, they're probably. Uh, leaning toward the uh, liberal dogma, but um, <laughs> I think they're also older, right? They're yeah, older they're, kids. they're more. Like I feel like I looked at them and I was like, "Oh, Indy's gonna love this when he's five yeah, or six. Yeah. But yeah. right now it's a little yeah, yeah. they're a little little older. I think probably four or five is probably about um, the right area. You know, basically saying anyone can become a hero. Look at look at the childhood of these people. Yeah. Right. So anyway, uh, We March was one of the books I was given. Um, I think by my friend who works at a children's book publisher, although I'm forgetting now. Um, and I, I picked it because it was really simple and really beautiful and about a piece of history that we all know. And so, yeah, I I was wondering what you guys thought of it. Um, yeah, so it's... Do you want to describe what it is? Sure, go ahead. Is? Go ahead. Um, it's, um, it's really... It's like very simple sentences. Um, you know, like we, we do this. We wake up in the morning. We blah, blah, blah. And each page is just these people getting together to go on a march and it's all family. It starts with a family and then it ends with the big march. And the last page is revealing that it's uh, the March on Washington for jobs and freedom from uh, 1963 and it's Martin Luther King's, I have a dream speech. So it sort of builds to that, that turn at the end. Um, I mean, you obviously know that they're marching and everybody's black uh, pretty much throughout the book, especially the main characters that you start with. So you know that this is some civil rights era, you know, and then it reveals that it's Martin Luther King at the end. Um, and then there's a nice note basically for the adults explaining the historical context of the, the book. Yeah, it, it, and it's um, also beautifully drawn, but really simply mm-hmm. drawn. Um, mm-hmm. But the message of it, which I think is the most powerful thing, is understanding why we march and why people yeah. take to the streets and teaching that lesson early on. Um, I, I, if I, I didn't have any children's books like this, you know? Um, I, had to, I had to learn this stuff through trial and error. Um, but there's, you know, it, it just says, it, it begins, the morning is quiet, the sun rises, and we prepare to march. And it's, you know, it's an average day that is shown. Um, and I think it's a beautiful subtextual idea that, it doesn't need to be any particular day that we go to march. We prepare every day to march, you know? And I think yeah. that's, I think that's a, a powerful sentiment. Yeah, I think that this book is... Well, okay, so a lot of children's books really fall down either in the writing or the illustration. And a lot of, a lot of children's books are written and illustrated by the same person. So they might have a particular strength on one side or the other. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that this book is extraordinary extraordinarily well written like the message is just in those two words so the the we is so inclusive it's saying like 
you're a part of this, you know, like you're mm-hmm. part of this collective that will do these things. And then the march, and this is to Todd's point, is in the present tense. You know, it's not like uh, 50 years ago, blah, 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 right, blah, right, blah. Right. right. It's ongoing. It's like a, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it yeah, brings true. the child into the moment. It's, it's puts them right in the present tense and, and makes it feel active. It makes history feel like something they are a part of, like kind of inevitably, which is, you know, that's exactly how I want my kids to feel. It's like, yep, this is something we do. Like, who's the we? That's the big question Mm -hmm. of the book. Who's the we? And what are they marching for and why? Um, And making that really present and present tense is, I think, the strength of this this little book. It's basically, it's, it's like a cool way to introduce the conversation, you yeah. know, that you have this, your, your kid will have a personal connection to this huge historical event that you can then, you know, either bring up right then or when they're in class in second grade or whatever, when they actually start learning about Martin Luther King, they'll have this like, oh yeah, I remember that, you know, mm-hmm. almost like a personal memory because from these images of like, oh yeah, that's what that was. And that, you know, I think that's the the goal of this. And book. I think yeah. th- that the, that there's not that time marker that you spoke of, Julia, makes it so universal because when you're looking at it, there's, I mean, obviously when there's a drawing of Martin Luther King, which is about two thirds of the way through the book, um, we as adults recognize Martin Luther King, but there's right. not, there's not actually anything that signifies what time or era this is. If you're just a kid looking at the pictures, yeah. um, right. it could be any time. And that's also what makes it, horrifying is that um we have this when when there's a sign saying we want freedom and um liberty and justice for all and we're marching for freedom now your your child might not know that this happened um 60 years ago for them or however many years ago now um so that's the both the timeless quality and the horrifying quality of it yeah but i also kind of have a problem with that i mean that's my major criticism of this book um I think, like, I, I feel like this is a book for parents more than mm-hmm. it is for kids. And I think, like, so the result is that it's it's pretty boring. And it's kind of like feeding your kid broccoli. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it's good for them. You can do it. It's like raw broccoli, you know? But no one's having any fun. <laughs> oh, God. And, like, that's that's problematic to me. Like, that's poor writing. Like, I'm sorry. You know, and the other problem is exactly what you said, Todd, as kind of a strength. I see as a weakness, which is that you could not change a word of the actual text of this book, replace the imagery with a KKK rally, and it would serve the same political purpose in exactly the opposite direction. And that means that it's not making an argument or raising any issues or even being specific to the human beings that it's presenting. There's no personality. It reduces them to iconography. So there's like... There's nothing to them. There's no character. There's no personal motivations. So it's all about our predisposition to agree with it. I mean, that's like, and that's, to me, it's like, okay, well, I agree with it. So of course, you know, I want my son to get this. But it's like, I I feel like it would be more effective. And if you could entertain a kid, make them laugh or tell a little story or just make it a human story where it's about these people and they feel like real characters and real human beings. You know, we get this little girl in the beginning and a kind of a family situation, but then it just becomes this like, I don't know. And so I think that that's like, it's problematic that, that it could so easily be a different argument. At what age are you teaching civil rights to your child? You know, (laughs) I mean, are you saying at three years old, um, we need to begin teaching them the history of the civil rights movement, or are you just showing them 
things that have maybe a nice syntax to them. Do they need to be the hero of the story or can they just look at the pictures and, and have it become a thing? Well, in that see? case, it should be, but it should be more entertaining then. Like if, if it's just about, if it's just about like getting your kids sort of into the idea of a march and like, uh, I mean, like, like imagine if this, if, if, if like, you know, it, it's about a little girl waking up and, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't have her shoes and she has to like wear her mom's shoes for the day and they're getting ready for this march and you don't know what the march is, but you're invested in this little girl and she has to wear her mom's shoes and like stuff extra socks and everyone's telling her it's really important that she goes in this march and you don't know what it is. And like, there would be like a personality and a person that my kid would be so much more into this book. Like I read this book to my kid. He just could care less. <coughs> it was like, yeah. You know, he just sat there, and my my wife and I are like, "Isn't that great?" And he's like, "No." Could, you know, and yeah. it's like, "Yeah, he doesn't care." Or I mean, could and be, I, I'm going to keep reading it to him because I believe in the you know I believe in implant, but it's pop propaganda. I'm implanting it's not, propaganda. It's not propaganda. Into my, it's basic human. Oh, dignity. absolutely. Come on, Marching it's for free. it's no, no no it's propaganda that you agree with and I agree yeah, with, so, but it's propaganda. It's, it's 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 basic human decency is. You're not propaganda requires that we listen to our leaders is one of the lines. <laughs> There's a page where it says okay, we right. listen to our leaders. Now imagine if that you took that <laughs> sentence and changed the image it, and, and made it who you wanted to be your leader. That's propaganda. There's no argument made in this book. There's no thing. There's nothing about no, no, who, no. You we know, follow our leaders, and it's a picture. Oh, we follow even better, right. even better. So but you it, could just replace this with Trump iconography. But it's literally and it's the same. No, 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 because it's literally a picture of them following their leaders, walking behind Martin Luther King. Right. <laughs> so imagine if they were... If, so that's what I'm saying. Okay. You could change the imagery. It's not making an argument. It's not about human decency. It's not about what they're marching for. You have to explain that to your kid after they've read the book. So if that's the case, make the book entertaining. Okay, But all instead, right, it's right, not. Right. It's all about self-serving, <laughs> you know, patting yourself on the back that you're reading this to your kid. That's all it's doing. Okay. Which... That's what I'm saying is propaganda. It's so, not propaganda. You're, all right, all right. So I think there's, there's an important thing here, which is Julia's two gonna points. Julia's going to tell us why not. No, 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 no. I'm not going... I used the word propaganda 10 minutes ago. Uh, I, I don't disagree. But there's two things that you said that are really important, Ryder, that, like, assumptions you're making that we have to, like, unmake about children's books. One is that you cannot divorce the illustration from the text. They are... The illustrations are, they are the text. You know what I mean? And the second thing is that I think, I agree with you, Ryder, actually, but this book is meant to be like a conversation between the parents and the child. It's not meant to be a piece right. of entertainment. It is meant to right. be like, where are they going? Why do you think they did right. this? And if you look at the age recommendation, it's not, it, it looks like a baby book because the words are so simple, but the age recommendation is age four to eight. So, you know, that is exactly a time where you might begin to talk about history and, you know, march as like a form of marching as a form of activism totally. and stuff like that. So it's so, it so what is you're absolutely saying is meant that, to be a conversation starter. What you're saying is I'm just saying that's all it is. It's I'm saying I'm saying it's not it like that. It, it's just a launching point for you to then have hopefully a very good conversation with your kid. And like I said earlier, that's. That's that's the existence of this book. That's cool, but I, it, it's like broccoli. It's like not you know. That's all I'm saying is that that's just one type. I think good children's books are more to do more than just that. And this is this. That's why I think it's like well, it's like handing your kid a, a pamphlet. Well, no, but know, no, like, like if, if this is meant to be a conversation starter with children four to eight, so 
then I think the onus is on you to provide the context. So therefore, it, it goes outside of propaganda and it becomes, if you're a white supremacist, you can say, and look how foolish they are. They, they never succeeded. <laughs> you know, it can be used for, for anything that you want. But what, why does, do we expect that every children's book has to teach something? Or can it just be entertainment? Uh, no, I mean, I can do any, it can do, I mean, a children's book can be anything. I'm just criticizing this one for just being liberal propaganda and not, and, and, and I'm fine with liberal propaganda because I'm a liberal and I want my kid to be filled with this kind of information. But I'm just saying that that's not artfully, that's not to me as artful as like what Maurice Sendak does when he has, you know, his approach to basically a morality tale about a kid being a dick to his mom and that, or to his, his dog. And then like learning his lesson, he doesn't make it feel didactic. He makes it super exciting and fun. And you know, all and Stregonona, the same thing. It's like, you make a story out of it. This book doesn't do anything except make nice pictures and introduce a concept. And I find it problematic that the text I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, Julia, that like the tech, you can't divorce, but I only do that to, to make the point that they're not actually, there's sure. nothing being said about the issues that this book is supposedly raising. So all the credit that you guys are giving it, that I give it to is outside of this text entirely. It's outside of the pictures. It's outside of the, that we're supposed to be bringing to this our liberal, you know, sensibilities and belief in civil rights and the power of these marches. So that's what we're bringing to the table. Kids don't give a shit about that. So we're asking them to care about something that's not in the book, that's, that's not, that do, the book doesn't really argue for. You're just, you're just presenting it to them. So that's why it's like, okay, yeah, you can, you can. So I would rather, so I, as a parent, can, like I would find this fine. Like I'll do it and I will have that. But I, I think a more effective book that wants to have, that has the same goal would tell a great story and be entertaining or just make humans so out of these people. They're not humanized. That, that, that book would be March by John Lewis, which is a Ooh. graphic novel right. about great. John Lewis's there you March. Go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, yes. I, I just think that like this book is getting a pass because we like, you know, agree with it and agree with its sense of, you know, it's its political perspective, but like, we probably shouldn't give it that pass. Like it's, that's, I think that that's pretty, I think that that's pretty easy to write. giving it a pass. It's not, it's not doing harm. <laughs> okay. And I think it also needs to be said that we're seeing this um, from a perspective of white people, you know, and if you were a kid who was black and you saw these images of, black people marching together coming together right. like family on family community on community it might have a resonance that you know would not be present in a book with the exact same message that i also suggested swimmy by leo leone which is where a whole bunch of little fish come right. together and make a big fish and right. defeat an evil you know like there is something to be said for realism and you know showing actual history rather than in total symbolism, which is how so many children's books exist. Right. So, you know, it shouldn't be the only book that kids read, but I mean, why not? I want to hear from our listeners if they have kids that like this book. I do think that's a really good question is like, do any kids like ask for this? I'll book? tell you right now. Do they no, want mom, it to be read? To absolutely them? not. <laughs> like, I mean, because like, I, I, you know what you're describing about like the iconography is that's the problem. They're not human beings. They're reduced to caricature. Like their their blackness is the only element you know about them. That's bullshit. Like, that's kind of lame, isn't it? 
No, that's not true. You know about their family. You know about their faith. You know that they are doing things to be stronger together as right. a people. I mean, that's okay, all in the book as well. Like, I, a bit, you, an argument. Like, a, I, I was I was fascinated by the fact. Like, go, going to your point, Julia, which I think is is absolutely true. Like, it's really nice to see people of color in a children's book because, unfortunately, so many of the children's books in the last you know sixty years or whatever are. are but I was I was. Uh, do you guys know the book Corduroy? Yeah, of no, course. No, right. That's a it's a black girl that adopts the 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 adopts corduroy, and I had totally forgotten that. And it was like, oh my god, that's so nice that it's and it has nothing to. It's never mentioned. It's just like, oh, it's just a black girl and her mom that buy corduroy, and it's like it's and that to me is like doing so much more in the in the direction of what you're talking about, Julia, than a book of you know that like literally has no characters, no names, no she, like they're just. They're just supposed to be the marchers. It's, I don't know, man. Like, I think it's tricky. I, I don't. I, I don't think it's. Yeah. I I understand totally what you're saying because I have, as I said, twenty of these books now, <laughs> um, and I am very interested to see like which ones stick and which ones don't, and even if they don't stick, which you know have some kind of lasting impact and. To wrap this up, I'll tell you guys a story. When I was, I think, nine or ten, my dad, who's like a huge history nerd, huge, um, he bought me ten, like a series of ten children's textbooks on American history and openly bribed me $100 to read them. Oh, my God. So for a kid, now my allowance was like, two dollars right. a month or something like a hundred dollars was like an absolutely insane amount of money um but i i was so moral that i refused to read them uh i never read them uh i re- turned down the hundred dollars and i was like i can't be bought to like history but <laughs> oh my god I would, I, I would take that money now. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that, that's an amazing thing. It's like, if you know me, it's like, I worked at a historic house for seven years. Now I'm, like, so into history. I, like, spend all my spare time listening to history podcasts and reading biographies. And even though I didn't even read those books, just the presence of interest in history in my life was, you know, it worked. It worked. Mm-hmm. Like, even my resistance to being bribed and doing what my dad wanted um, <laughs> did not keep me from understanding the, like, importance and relevance of history because he was so dogmatic about it being cool and interesting and fun. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if you have this book or other similar books in your house and your kid picks it up and is curious about it, even if they end up thinking it's lame, I have to believe that's going to have some kind of impact. Um because like one of you guys said at the beginning, like maybe they'll be in school five years later and there will be some like resonance or touch point in their mind of what this march was and who these people were and what why they why they did it. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that's 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 the goal of this book. And, you know, I think that that's totally noble. And that's that's why you have a book like this on your shelf. But uh, yeah, like, you know, I'm going to keep forcing my kid to read <laughs> <laughs> Whereas he's he's gonna keep asking for Stregonona. What about he's gonna ask what about, for where the wild? What about Super Pickle? Does no one read Super Pickle anymore? My God, I don't know. I don't think I so. I read Super Pickle. Super Pickle changed my life. <laughs> <laughs>